0: And joining us now, Dr. Guy Ziv, who's a professor in the Department of Foreign Policy at American University School of International Service and Associate Director of the meltzer Schwarzberg Center for Israel Studies, where he teaches courses on U.S.-Israel relations. The Israeli Palestinian peacemaking and he worked in the United States Department of State on Capitol Hill and for leading nonprofit organizations that promote American involvement in Israeli Palestinian peacemaking. And is the author of Why Hawks Become Doves, Shimon Perez and Foreign Policy Change in Israel. And his forthcoming book out soon is Netanyahu versus the Generals, The Battle for Israel's Future. Welcome to background briefing, Dr. Guy Ziv.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, Guy. And what did you make of Monday's visit by Elon Musk, escorted by Prime Minister Netanyahu? They uh, toured the kibbutz that Hamas militants attacked on October the seventh. And you know, of course, prior to this, uh, there's been a lot of criticism of of Elon Musk for hosting Nazis and anti-Semitic content on on X, his uh, formerly Twitter platform that he owns personally, and it's. It, it, to some people, it looks like uh, reputation washing. You walk you know wandering around with the Israeli prime minister after after hosting Nazis and anti-Semites.
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, you got to look at it from a domestic political angle because Netanyahu is very unpopular these days, and uh, he can use all the support he can get and was uh, was hoping that this visit would uh, shore up some support. Um, would kind of take away from some of the uh, the more uh, disheartening news and uh, developments, and uh, and of course the public discontent with his leadership, and with having uh, really uh, uh, kind of been responsible for presiding over the largest terrorist attack in the country's history.
0: Well, just to point out what musk recently said and it was by the way as recent as the 15th of november on a post on x from an anti-semite saying the jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectic hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them referring to the great replacement theory you remember of course at charlottesville the nazis with their tiki torches were chanting the jews will not replace us and musk responded on x with you have said the actual truth, so he's, there's nothing. That's pretty unequivocal, isn't it?
1: Yes, and uh, you know I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't really take Elon Musk's uh, support on uh, that seriously. I think that Elon Musk himself is in Israel in part to uh, undo the damage that he's already done uh, with the American Jewish community and uh, the, and, and world Jewry in general. So. To me, this is just a little distraction, um, and I don't uh,
0: read too much into it. Well, let's talk about. I mean, by the way, Musk during the at the recent UN General Assembly meeting of all the world leaders, he hung out with uh, Erdogan, Turkey, who's uh, <laughs> who's not exactly a uh, who's also had his had his uh, said some outrageous stuff, uh, particularly about uh, Israel. But nevertheless, um, let's talk about Netanyahu. Yeah, understand. I just want to.
1: Just to jump in here for a second, just we're, we're seeing an alliance uh, amongst populist nationalist leaders with a strong authoritarian streak. So if you take a look at the sort of people that uh, Musk gets along with, that Trump got along with, that Bibi Netanyahu gets along with, um, it's it's the it's the kind of people, the kind of leaders who are moved away from liberal democracy and who kind of implemented a more populist and illiberal uh, approach in their own countries.
0: So what's going on with Netanyahu? I mean, he's being openly contradicted by the IDF leaders. I mean, he recently said, Netanyahu, that Israel would occupy Gaza indefinitely. And the military immediately said, no way. So what's going on in these cabinet meetings? I mean, the, the meeting to get the approval for the, the deal that's just been going down and been extended a couple of days of releasing hostages for, with a pause in the war itself. It seems that uh, that took forever, and I imagine the far-right members of the Cabinet like Ben gvir and, and Schmertrich have, have furiously opposed doing anything so, what's your sense of what's going on inside here? You have an unpopular leader uh, who's conducting a war with uh, the military who clearly don't like him.
1: That's right. Uh, so, there are a couple things going on here. One is that there doesn't seem to be any real strategy, uh, certainly not a post Hamas strategy, but even the goal of eliminating uh, Hamas or crippling Hamas is uh, a very tall order, especially when you factor in the other goal of this war, which is to free the hostages. So uh, Netanyahu is facing only bad options, uh, and and there are some options that are worse than others. But he's also looking at the post-war political situation for him because he realizes how unpopular he is. And he has been setting up the security establishment um, uh, to make sure that they are Receiving that they will be receiving the bulk of the blame um, once uh, once the dust settles and there is going to be kind of a, a probably an investigation. Uh, he wants to make into what went wrong on October. 7th. Uh, so he wants to make sure that he is not to blame and has pinned the blame on the generals and on the heads of the uh, intelligence uh, uh, you know, chiefs of uh, intelligence agencies so that's what i think that's where I think he's at, um, and at the same time he's got his coalition to maintain, so he does he cannot afford to lose these far right extremist members of his cabinet because then his coalition falls apart so that's that's his balancing act, which is a tough one
0: but this emergency government he has with the opposition joining in with him that has precedence at the moment doesn't it what's what's the the sort of legal status of that. In other words, can, it, can the, the far right pull the rug from under Netanyahu or does the yes. wartime uh, cabinet g- can, get precedence? But
1: they, but they, yeah, so they can. They, anyone, anyone can leave the coalition at any time. Uh, that includes the far right uh, members of the coalition. I don't think they're incentivized to leave the coalition, though, because polls show that they would not fare as well. And uh, Benny Gantz, who is uh, the most popular leader in Israel these days, has indicated that for now he's still going to stay in this emergency coalition government. But he, too, can leave the coalition at any time. And in fact, some of of the members of his party have been urging him to do so.
0: Well, this is no way to run a railroad, let alone a war.
1: That's right. Uh, But... In the meantime, there, he could take solace in uh, limited achievements, which include, of course, the release of um, so many hostages so far, and of course the majority are still in Gaza, but having the hostages return is a temporary respite, I think, for everyone, for all the parties involved.
0: But that, that came from pressure from the families and from the Israeli public against pressure clearly, from the far right people like Smercher and Ben Gvir, who, who didn't want a pause in the war, right?
1: That's correct. They, they wanted uh, the government to pursue the one, and, and for, as far as they're concerned, the only important goal, which was to eliminate Hamas and just uh, releasing the hostages, uh, which involves a prisoner exchange and a pause, a humanitarian pause or a temporary ceasefire in this war is not something that the far right is comfortable with, but they're outnumbered and there's a near consensus in Israeli society that releasing the hostages is a high priority, a top priority, even if that means that it comes at the expense of uh, military um, achievements.
0: But the minute that the deal is over, then Netanyahu said said they are going to go back and pound Gaza – and continue the effort to eliminate Hamas, if that's even possible. So, yeah. will Ben Gvir and company get their way in a few days' time?
1: It's not clear if they're going to. If they're really the ones that are calling the shots here, when it comes to this sort of thing, there's as as you mentioned, there is tremendous pressure from the Israeli public to get those hostages back, and I think that that's not something that the Yahoo can ignore. Um, I, and, and I think we're you know we've already seen an extension of the temporary ceasefire and this may drag itself out it's in Hamas's interest as well of course especially in Hamas's interest to drag this out as long as possible it's torture for the families it's torture for society to have to contend with this and not know if uh, a loved one is dead or alive and, and if the loved one is going to be on the next uh, trip back to Israel but but I think that this is this has become a, a high preference a and top priority for most Israelis.
0: But Guy, as far as I know, the, maybe the IDF knows what who's holding these hostages. But I've talked to a few analysts, former CIA people and others who who, who know a lot about Hamas. It's not even clear who's holding these hostages, whether it's Hamas or the Islamic Jihad or these criminal gangs, because you know the, the the Hamas works with these criminal gangs in the in the Sinai who who smuggle arms in from Iran, and these criminal gangs, of course, are in the hostage taking business as well. So, does anybody really know who's holding these hostages?
1: I think Hamas knows more than they claim to know. Uh, they have uh, been lying left and right on a number of items, including on this issue of the hostages. For example, one of the girls who was released uh, the other day, mentioned that uh, she had been with her mom uh, up until uh, a couple days before this girl's release. And Hamas had claimed all along that they had no knowledge of of her mom's whereabouts. So I think Hamas knows more than they claim they do. They uh, coordinate with Islamic Jihad. So they probably know where the Islamic Jihad is holding uh, their hostages. And it it is possible that there are some hostages that are being held by cells, uh, by other kind of random uh, standalone uh, terrorists that are not necessarily in coordination with Hamas. But one of the potential benefits of this humanitarian pause and temporary ceasefire is to enable Hamas to locate uh, those people who they claim they don't know uh, where they are. So I think that that excuse is is really just an excuse, but not... uh, not something I take all too seriously.
0: But it's highly unlikely that Hamas is going to uh, release the Israeli military prisoners they have, many of whom are women.
1: Yeah, I don't think uh, those are going to be the first ones that they're going to release, and I also uh, highly doubt they're going to release everyone, Um, especially when Netanyahu has made it clear that he has ordered the Mossad to assassinate all of the Hamas leaders. Hamas leaders are aware that... um, that they may want to keep some of the hostages uh, to safeguard uh, their own position. So uh, I, I hope I'm wrong there, but it's it's highly unlikely that all the hostages are going to be released, and certainly not the soldiers.
0: So, in other words, he Netanyahu's ordered the Mossad to go and kill these leaders, like the ones in Qatar that are working with the Qataris to negotiate the prisoners' release of, uh, of the Israeli hostages.
1: But he may, have, he may have made this declaration for domestic political purposes rather than a, an order that is likely to be carried out in another country. So it's, um, it's far from clear that uh, anyone's going to be assassinating Hamas leaders in Qatar or Turkey or wherever they are.
0: So what's happening then on the northern front? What do you think is restraining Hezbollah from entering the war because if if after this hostage exchange is over, and Israel comes back with a vengeance and really starts to pound what's left of Gaza and push the remaining Gazans further down into the south on the Egyptian border into a smaller and smaller enclave, they've they, at some point they've said that they that they, they're going to enter the war if there's too much suffering in Gaza. Well, that's pretty much in the cards, isn't it?
1: It's in the cars, but I think that there are two factors uh, that are uh, preventing, so far, that have prevented Hezbollah from entering this war. One is the fact that President Biden sent over uh, carrier groups, uh, many uh, U.S. fire jets that are serving as a sort of deterrence for Hezbollah to not get involved. And the other reason is, uh, is Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah himself, who um, has been said to really not want to enter this war. Um, uh, Apparently, he uh, made a big mistake and and concluded he made a big mistake in 2006 when Israel and Hezbollah engaged in a kind of inconclusive war. And I think he's much more cautious uh, than people realize. So uh, he is getting pressure, though, from many members of Hezbollah and from the uh, uh, Palestinian supporters who would like him to get involved who say that the numbers of Palestinian casualties justify and even necessitate Hezbollah's involvement. But opening up another front in this war would be uh, a big gamble for Hezbollah and certainly uh, not be helpful to Israel and to the U.S. efforts to kind of stabilize the situation.
0: So just in closing here, Guy, this is obviously hurting Biden, particularly with the young votes that he needs in his coalition, uh, given that even even in some polls, Trump is ahead in the 2024 election. What's your sense of how long this thing's going to go on, how much political damage Biden's going to get? And also, I mean, obviously, as we established, Netanyahu's again the kind of Houdini fighting for his political life, he's, he's like Trump. His personal fortunes are more important than the fate of the nation, right?
1: Yeah, there are some similarities. There are also some differences. I think Netanyahu is also more clever than, uh, than Trump. And uh, the polls certainly don't look good for Biden, but you know, the election is a year away. And uh, I think a lot can change between now and then. I don't know how long this war is going to last. Nobody knows how long this war is going to last. Um, the defense minister in Israel, Yoav Golan, has said it will last at least a few more months. But uh, it's, it's really unclear. And uh, as I said earlier, it's, uh, nor is it clear what will happen after, after the war. Um, whenever that war is declared over, what is Gaza going to look like? And what's the West Bank going to look like as well? The West Bank right now is a tinderbox. The tensions have not been so high. In fact, if there's going to be any new front in this war, it would be more likely to happen in the West Bank than in Lebanon.
0: Well, it's a pretty grim picture. But um, I thank you for, for I thank you for joining us here today, uh, Dr. Gazib.
1: Sure. Hope I can be back under under better circumstances.
0: Indeed, and again I've been speaking with Dr. Guy Ziv, who's a professor in the Department of Foreign Policy at American University School of International Service and Associate Director of the Meltzer Schwarzberg Center for Israel Studies, where he teaches courses on U.S.-Israel relations and Israeli-Palestinian peacemaking. He has worked in the United States Department of State on Capitol Hill and for leading nonprofit organizations that promote American involvement in Israeli-Palestinian peacemaking, and he's the author of Why Hawks Become Doves, Shimon per- as in foreign policy, Change in Israel, and his forthcoming book out soon is Netanyahu versus the Generals, The Battle for Israel's Future.